Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Father, this morning we um, stand here with our hearts united in adoration and love for you. God, we want to thank you that we can come so freely this morning and join with all of creation and with all the angels and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Father, there is truly no one like you. You are incomparable. There is no one like you in power and glory and majesty and beauty. You are absolutely wonderful, and our hearts are in awe of you today. And Father, we just uh, want to give our lives to you afresh this morning and say you are so worthy and you are so deserving, and we're so thankful that we have a worthy and deserving God, that you are truly worthy of our devotion and our affection and of our love, and we give it freely this morning. Uh, God, we want to thank you for your heart toward us, and thank you for everything that you have in store for us. I want to thank you that uh, your heart toward us is just full of good intention and I want to thank you that our futures are safe and secure in your hand and we have every reason in the world to be hopeful and confident because you are our God and this morning we just want to say we love you we love you we love you and we're so thankful for the gift of this time and this opportunity to be together in this place and we're so thankful for the gift of one another thank you for family and friends and thank you God that you are at work in our lives in ways that we can't even fully understand and perceive but thank you that you will be faithful to complete what you've started in us. And I pray that this morning you would just continue that work by your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, by your grace, continue to enlarge us, stretch us, change us, mold us, make us so that we are more and more like your son, Jesus, so that your plan and purpose for our lives can be realized. And we ask that with one heart, one voice, in agreement, everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Fantastic. All right. God bless you, beautiful people. Uh, While you're taking your seat, why don't you just take 30 seconds to spin around to somebody close by, somebody behind you, in front of you, next to you. You say, good day. Great to see you in church. Give them a compliment. Tell them you sing like an angel. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, it's good to be together again, isn't it? It's wonderful to see you all, and uh, thank you so much for having me back. Um, It was uh, a wonderful uh, pleasure to be with you last time we were together. And I'm so encouraged to hear that you are deep into the process of your uh, um, appointment of your next senior minister. I'm somewhat glad and relieved because it suddenly occurred to me, I've been here twice in the last three weeks. And I know that you're in this process, and I was just wondering, I wonder if, if people think that I am applying for the role. And so I thought, I just need to clarify, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, right? Now, I know for some of you that would be, that would be a, a minor disappointment. For others of you, that'll be a huge relief. But the good news is, um, you know, you don't need to evaluate the sermon this morning, right? You can just sit back, relax, receive it, and enjoy it. So put your school cards away. Um, save them for next week. But honestly, as honored as I would be to uh, receive that, high and holy calling. I know I have another mandate from the Lord in the season. So I have been praying for you and I have been believing with you that God will raise up and reveal the right person at the right time um, for your uh, uh, you know, senior minister and for your shared future together. Um, I honestly have been deeply encouraged by my experience of your faith community. There's a remarkable maturity here and a stability here, even in the absence of a designated leader. Uh, you have wonderful leaders and you have a wonderful sense of commitment 
to one another. And I just want to commend you for that, the way you've held each other through this season with all its uncertainty and its unknown. I want to commend you for your faith and for your sincere love for each other. And all I can say is continue. Continue to love Jesus and love each other, and you're going to be fine. And I know you have a wonderful history as a church, but how many of you know that the best thing we can do in order to honor our past is make a big commitment to our future. And so thank God for all that he has done over the years up at Calamunda Church of Christ, but I'm fully convinced that your future is brighter than your past. And God has great things in store for you. And I hope that you can believe that too, because I believe it with all of my heart. So trusting and believing with you that the future is going to be bright in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now the, the only, uh, and first and only fight I ever got into in uh, school, I won by about 100 meters, <laughs> right? Because I was not much of a fighter in school. I was a very skinny kid, and uh, I, I wasn't uh, particularly confident, never thought I'd be able to hold myself in a, in a fist fight if it ever came to that. So I became a mediator, right, like a negotiator. I just wanted to be everybody's friend. And in fact, to this day, I do not have much of an appreciation for conflict and fighting. So things like MMA and boxing and karate, I don't get it, man. Like, if that's your thing, God bless you, more power to you, but I don't understand why two people would want to climb in a ring and beat each other till one passes out. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I was not much of a fighter growing up, but maybe it was different for you. Like, maybe you grew up on the wrong side of town, on the wrong side of the tracks, and so you grew up fighting to protect your siblings, or fighting to protect your territory, or fighting to protect your toys. Or maybe you were like, you know, the youngest of seven kids. And so you grew up fighting to, to be heard, and fighting to be fed, and fighting to be included, right? The fact of the matter is, if you grew up a fighter, you are at a distinct advantage over someone like me when it comes to the life of faith because whether you realize it or not and whether you like it or not, the life of faith is a fight. It is a fight. I don't mean that metaphorically as in it's like a fight. The life of faith is a fight. It's a battle. That's why Paul the Apostle writing to his young protege in the faith, a young man by the name of Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he said to him, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Faith is a fight. It's a good fight. It's a necessary fight. It's a godly fight, but make no mistake about it, it's a fight. So if you are going to do the faith life well, and if you are going to get to the end of the journey, you have got to learn to find the fighter in you. Because I guarantee you at some point in that faith journey, you are going to find your faith coming under fire. You are going to find your devotion to Jesus under assault by doubt, being harassed by fear, being undermined by circumstance. And, and the question I want to ask today is what do you do when your faith comes under fire like that? What do you do when you find your confidence in God being tested by your circumstance? What do you do when you feel your, your faith in Jesus being harassed by fear or assaulted by doubt? And you see, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that our battle, our fight, or our struggle is with the people around us. You know, the neighbor across the road or that annoying colleague at work that really weird member of your extended family. Like we think our conflict is there, but it's not. Because Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians 6 verse 10, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
The real heart of our conflict is, is far more subtle and far more spiritual than that. He said we wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers and high places, forces of wickedness, powers of evil. Friends, there is a very real enemy at world, in the world today, forces of evil personified and, and epitomized in the person of the devil that are out to destroy you and your faith. Jesus said the devil came to rob, kill, and destroy. He's not out to give you a bad head, eh? He wants to take your life. He wants to, he wants to take your faith. He wants, to, he wants to rob, kill, and destroy. So there's a very real spiritual reality that you get thrust into you and you become a follower of Jesus that includes this element of conflict. And so we've got to learn to get comfortable with that reality and understand that the life of faith is a fight. And if you are going to be a person of faith, you've got to learn how to fight the fight of faith. So the question is, what do you do when your, your faith comes under fire? And to answer that question today, I want to turn to one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture, a man that you will know well by the name of David, who was king of Israel in the Old Testament. He was a wonderful warrior and a great fighter, a wonderful man of faith. And there's a particular episode in his life in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that I want us to look at today. Now, it takes up the entire chapter. We wouldn't have the time to read the entire chapter together. So I'm going to just quickly give you the backstory and sum up what happens in this particular episode. And then we're going to dive into what is it that God is wanting to say to us through it. So at this particular point in time, King Saul is on the throne and David is on the run. So King Saul is the ruling monarch in Israel, but David has already been appointed by Samuel to succeed him. And so this has produced all kinds of jealousy and insecurity in Saul. And so Saul is out to kill David. So David has fled Jerusalem and he's living on the outskirts of Israel. And he's gathered together a band of about 600 men who have allied themselves to David. And as part of their survival strategy, what he and these 600 men would often do is they would cross the border into surrounding territories and they would raid villages and towns and plunder them in order to sustain their kind of renegade existence. And so one day, David and his 600 men are out on this military campaign. And while they're away from their camp, the Bible says that the Amalekites come down from the hills around them and attack their home base at a place called Ziklag. And they plunder everything. They take all David's possessions. They take his wives and his children captive and the wives and the children of his men. They burn the camp and they raise it to the ground. So David and his men come back from their little military campaign and they find home base burnt and destroyed and everyone they love gone and everything they possess stolen. And the Bible says they began to weep. In fact, they wept so much, the Bible says, that they had no more power to weep. We're talking about deep distress. We're talking about an intense sorrow. Grief to the point of exhaustion. And then if that's not bad enough, the men decide that they're going to turn on David. So they say, David, this is your fault. You're the leader. <laughs> you took us out. You left the camp vulnerable. We're going to stone you. <laughs> How many of you know that is sometimes the nature of leadership? Those of you who have ever led anything will know that to be true. You can go from being hero to zero in five seconds flat. One day everybody's praising you and celebrating you. The next day they're yelling, crucify him. Right? That is the nature of leadership. So when, when things are going well and people are affirming you and celebrating you and appreciating you, don't let it go to your head. And when things are going bad and people are criticizing you, don't let it go to your heart. It just comes with the territory. 
So, so David and his men are deeply distressed and they're deeply overwhelmed and, and, and unsure about what to do. And concerning all of this, the opening verse of 1 Samuel 30 just simply says, now it happened. Everything I've just described, that whole scenario, it just begins with those words, now it happened. And I love that because I think that's such a wonderful articulation of the reality of life. Sometimes things just happen. Like you're just traveling along, endeavoring to love God and obey Him and be faithful to His call on your life and do what you know He's asked you to do. And suddenly, out of nowhere, you get blindsided by this unexpected, unwanted, undeserved turn of events that leaves you feeling unsure, uh, unsecure, um, doubtful, fearful, overwhelmed, and afraid. And friends, it can be anything from a burst geezer in the roof to a burst artery in your heart, right? Just sometimes life happens. I, I remember once I was, I was having a particular difficult kind of season in life and, and things seemed to be going really hard and kind of life was unraveling at the seams and I was driving in the traffic one day just lamenting my, my uh, status, you know, to the Lord. And I pulled up behind a car in front of me and on the bumper sticker it said, stuff happens. Only it wasn't the word stuff, it was another word, but we don't say that word in church, right? Then stuff happens, I thought to myself, gosh, is that not true, right? Sometimes in life, stuff happens. And it happens without your permission. And it happens without any forewarning. And it happens without you deserving it. But it happens. That is the reality of life. How many of you know faith in Jesus is not a vaccination against the realities of life? Faith in Jesus is not a shot in the arm. It's not an inoculation against suffering, hardship, and adversity. Even people of sincere faith suffer. Sickness, disease, pain, disappointment, grief, sorrow, loss. That is part of the human experience, and that is true for people of faith as well. In fact, Jesus turned to his disciples, and he said, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, thank you, Jesus. For that blessed assurance, there's a promise for your promise book. <laughs> I promise you in this world you will have trouble. But he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Right? And, and I love the fact that the Bible is always true to the reality of human experience and human emotion. The Bible never attempts to sugarcoat the life of faith. The Bible never attempts to present the life of faith as something it is not. It is always true to the reality of human emotion and human experience. And the reality is, friends, sometimes we suffer. Now, I'm now not suggesting for a moment that every single adversity or difficulty or hardship is a direct attack from the devil, right? But, but how many of you know that those vulnerabilities in life can become his opportunities? And so he may not necessarily be responsible for everything that happens in your life, but he'll certainly try to exploit it. And so when you are confronted with the imperfect uh, realities of life as everybody is, that becomes an opportunity for the enemy to undermine your faith and to challenge your confidence in God and to cause you to doubt and to become afraid and to withdraw. And so the question then becomes, well, what do you do? What do you do when you suddenly find yourself fa facing a circumstance that is keeping you awake at night, that's leaving you emotionally distressed, that's causing you to weep into your pillow, that's leaving you doubtful and afraid and unsure about what the future is going to... What do you do, right? And, and answer that question, I want to look at the response that David makes because I believe that what David does here is he gives us a faith-filled example of what a faith-filled response looks like when you find yourself assaulted 
by the imperfect realities of life, right? So what is it that David does? And there's three things in particular that I just want to highlight together with us this morning. All right, so the first thing is this. Bible says in verse 6 that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So the first point I want to make is that faith fans the fire of courage. When you find yourself in a situation like that, what faith does as far as a faithful response is concerned, is faith fans the fire of courage. And so David encouraged himself in the Lord. Some translations say David strengthened himself in the Lord. Well, well, to strengthen is to encourage. To encourage is to strengthen. But the truth of the matter is sometimes in life, the only voice of encouragement you are going to hear is your own. So you have got to learn to encourage yourself. Tom Watson, the founder of IBM, said, uh, nothing so conclusively proves a person's ability to lead others as what they do from day to day to lead themselves. Love that, right? And so sometimes you, you have to lead yourself by encouraging yourself. And the question becomes, well, how do you do that? Well, we see David doing it all the time in the Psalms. Right, David would often in the Psalms go before God and he would pour out his heart and he would lament his state in life and he would say, God, you know, things like, my heart is overwhelmed, my tears are my food day and night, my enemies are around me, like, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm confused and I'm uncertain. But then at some point, David would change gears and he would start to talk to his own soul and he would say things like this. He would say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. The Lord who heals all our diseases and forgives all our iniquities. O my soul, why are you downcast within me? Put your hope in the Lord your God. He mastered the art of talking to his own heart. And so sometimes when you're in a situation like that, you need to actually just withdraw from the crowd, get away from the people, get alone before God, and start a conversation with your heart. And remind yourself of the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and the power of God and the promises of God. And at an absolutely practical level, the way I love to do this is when I'm in a situation like that, I'll, I'll kind of get away from the family. I'll go into my bedroom. I'll close the door behind me. I'll get alone before God and I'll just begin to pray. And then I'll, I'll pray back to God the promises that he has already spoken over me. And so I'll just come before God and I'll say things like, God, I just, I thank you so much today that you have said in your word that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. Thank you, God, that you have said in your word when the enemy comes in like a flood, you will raise up a standard. Thank you that you have said that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Thank you that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Not some things, not a few things, not most things. All things are going to work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, God, that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come. Neither famine, sword, pestilence, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, that I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Right? Okay, that's not in the Bible. That was Muhammad Ali, but it's a good one too, okay? So, so as you begin to pray these things over your life and you remind your heart of the power of God and the providence of God and the promises of God, the things that He has already spoken over you to be true, you can feel your spirit begin to rise and your faith begin to strengthen. Before you know it, you're ready to oh, get down that bedroom door and come back out onto the battlefield and fight again right you've got to learn to master the art of conversing with your own heart 
and talking to your own soul and encouraging yourself in the Lord. And notice that it is a qualified statement. It doesn't say David encouraged himself. Right? David did not go in front of the mirror and say, David, you can do this. David, you, you've got what you need. Everything you need is inside of you. David, you're the man. I'm not talking here about some kind of self-help, pick-me-up-by-my-own-shoelaces, Oprah, Deepak, Topra type vibe. Right? I'm talking about encouraging yourself in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. You've got to remind yourself about who you are in the Lord, who He is in you. Remind yourself of the promises of God. So that is the first thing faith does. Faith fans the fire of courage. And so David encouraged himself in the Lord. The second thing that faith does in a situation like that is faith turns to God for direction. Faith turns to God for direction. So in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 30, it says, So David inquired of the Lord. So David inquired of the Lord. You know, when you read... The, the, the biblical record of David's life, which is recorded for us in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way through to the end of 2 Samuel, big chunk of scripture, you'll find a phrase that repeats over and over again in relation to David, and it's this phrase, so David inquired of the Lord. So David inquired of the Lord. Every time David comes to a critical intersection in his life where he's got to make a major decision, where he's facing a difficult circumstance or something big is going on in his life, it says, so David inquired of the Lord. Now, that is, that is such a stark contrast to his predecessor, Saul, who was such a self-made man, such a self-willed, self-directed individual. Saul would often disobey the prophets. He, you know, he went at one point to go see a medium, to consult a medium about his future, about the decisions he should make. He was such a self-motivated, self-moved, self-directed individual. But David had an inquiring heart. David wanted to know, what does God think? What does God want? What does God uh, have to say? So, so David inquired of the Lord. But what I want you to notice here, friends, is not only the fact that David inquired of the Lord, I want you to see the nature of David's inquiry. Because when David goes before God to inquire of the Lord in this season and circumstance, he doesn't ask God why. As natural and logical and understandable as it would be for him to do that, he doesn't, he doesn't go before God and say, God, why has this happened? God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? God, why have you not intervened? Why have you not protected? Why have you not provided? God, why is this all happening? He doesn't ask that. Now, friends, I know when you are in a situation where you are feeling unsure about the future, Life isn't going the way you thought it was. Um, something has happened that is undeserved and unwarranted and unexpected. And you're feeling afraid and you're feeling overwhelmed. The logical question, the human question is to ask why. God, why is this happening? I mean, if you think about how many significant heroes of the faith whose life stories are recorded in the Bible were confronted with these types of realities and found themselves asking that same question. Take Gideon, for example. You know young Gideon um, in, in Judges. Chapter 6, the Bible says that he is born into one of the darkest times in Israel's history. They are being harassed and oppressed by the Midianites. The people are hiding in the caves and the mountains. Gideon himself is hiding in a wine press where he's threshing wheat. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, God has chosen you to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And you know what Gideon's immediate response was? The very first words out of his mouth, he said, if God is for us, why has all this happened to us? 
Think about that for a moment. How many times have we responded to God in a situation like that with those same words? If God, then why? If God is so powerful, why didn't he protect me? If God is so loving, why hasn't he healed me? If God genuinely cares about my well-being, why am I still unemployed? If God, then why? It's the human question. It's the rational question. It's the logical question. It's the question we all want to ask. Job, that wonderful Old Testament saint, when he found himself suffering probably one of the most horrible personal afflictions uh, in the biblical record, cries out and he says, God, why? Why was I even born? If you knew all this was going to happen, why was I even born? And why can't I find you? I go to the north and the south and the east and the west to plead my case before you and I can't find you. Why cannot I find you? Right? Even Jesus, in the, in the throes of his humanity, in his distress and his trauma on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Right? It is the human question to ask. It's understandable. It's logical. We all want to do it. But friends, you know what? I've come to realize something after 25 years of following Jesus, is if you want to hear from God, you've got to learn to ask the right questions. And as natural and logical as it is to ask the why question, it's not the right question. And you will notice every time in the biblical record somebody asks God why, there is silence. God doesn't bother to ask the why question. He doesn't bother to answer it. And, and I, I reckon the reason why God doesn't answer the why question is because we don't have the capacity to comprehend the full dimensions and implications of the answer to the why question. It's like a number of years ago, my daughter came to me when she was maybe about four years old, and she said, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to marry Nathan. That's her older brother. I said, Honey, no, <laughs> you're not going to marry Nathan. You can't marry Nathan. He's your brother. And she was like, Why? Why can I not marry my brother? Because at four years of age, she's got no capacity to understand that she cannot marry her brother. Now, I'm glad to say at 12 years of age, she understands that she cannot marry her brother and she does not want to marry her brother, right? Murder her brother, yes, but marry, no, okay? And, and I reckon for us, we just simply do not have the ability to fully comprehend the full dimension and implication of the why. So God doesn't bother to answer the why question. But friends, if you want to hear from God, you've got to learn to ask the right questions. And the right question to ask in a situation like that is not why, but what now? What now? God, what do you want me to do? I'm in this situation. I didn't ask for this situation. In an ideal world, the situation wouldn't have happened. I, I can't understand why it has happened, but the reality is I'm in this situation. So what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? What action do you want me to take? Because when you ask the what now question, not only will you hear from God, but you will be able to keep moving forward through that situation. And I cannot tell you how many people I have met over the years who are stuck. I mean, stuck relationally, stuck emotionally, stuck spiritually, because they cannot get past the why question and they circle endlessly around what could have been and what should have been and this obsessive need to know the answer to the question why and they can never move on right but when you come before God and you say God what now what do you want me to do how do you want me to respond to this imperfect situation this unexpected and unwanted turn of events God will speak and when he does, you must obey. And this is the third thing that I want to highlight in David's response. 
This is the third thing that faith does in a situation like this. It says in verse 10 that David and his men set out in pursuit of these um, Amalekites. And, and this is what faith does. Faith trusts and obeys. Faith trusts and obeys. And, and I'm fully convinced that if God had said to David, David, I want you to just stay where you are. Don't do anything. I'm going to take care of it. David would have obeyed. Because that was the kind of man he, he was. But when he went before God and he said, God, what do you want me to do now? God said, I want you to get your men and I want you to go after them because I'm going to restore everything back to you. And so David goes together and he gathers his 600 men, or at least 400 of them. 200 said, hey, I, we, we're too tired. We can't go on this one. And so he said, all right, stay at base camp, protect what's left. I'll take 400 and we'll go after them. And so the Bible says, David and his 400 men set out in pursuit of these um, Amalekites, and they managed to track them down. They find them, and then they attack them from dawn until dusk. And the Bible says that David and his men not only were able to recover all their wives and all their children and all their possessions and, and all their livestock, but they were able to plunder the Amalekites, and they ended up walking away from that particular experience richer and better and stronger than they were when the experience began. And friends, this is what I love about our God. He has this unique ability to take the very situation and circumstance that the enemy meant for your destruction, and he can use it for your promotion. God can take the very circumstance that you thought was going to end you, and He can use it to catapult you into a whole new level of um, experience and influence and blessing and prosperity. God can take the very thing that you thought was going to destroy you or destroy your family or destroy your marriage, and He can turn that very circumstance around and turn it into the thing that enlarges you and promotes you and blesses you and extends you. That is the glory of our God. And that is why Paul said, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose because in the hand of God every situation no matter how unwanted and imperfect is redeemable and God can take that circumstance and he can turn it around for his glory and for your good every circumstance every circumstance and that's why we just simply have to trust and obey I, I grew up in church and I remember you know sitting on the on the front row being this high and and I remember hearing a song that we that, that we used to sing such a simple little song I won't sing it because I can't sing right when I sing you know even the demons tremble right <laughs> how, how bad it is so I won't sing but but the line of the song is you know trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Such a simple little song, but it's jam-packed with so much spiritual truth. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so when you get before God and you say, God, what now? What do you want me to do? You will hear from God, and God will tell you what to do. And all I can encourage you to do is trust and obey. Do what he tells you to do. Right? And sometimes God will tell you to do some things that seem to be irrational and illogical, but don't lean on your reason, don't lean on your understanding, do what he tells you to do. Sometimes God will ask you to give away the very thing you are trusting him for. Sometimes God will, will, will ask you to step out of the boat and step into the storm. Sometimes God will ask you to take your army of 300,000 and cut it down to 300. That's not logical. That's not rational. That's not reasonable. But sometimes God asks us to trust Him by doing things that appear to be, at face value, illogical and irrational. So don't weigh it up. Don't evaluate it. Just hear from God. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. Do it. Trust and obey. 
because you will see the mighty hand of God at work in your situation. Uh, let me finish with a story. I um, heard about a man who was uh, a Christian man who was uh, caught up in a, a storm aboard a ship, and, and the ship sank. And, uh, and he survived and, and washed up ashore on a, on a deserted island. And he realized that he was the only one who was alive. So uh, he kind of set about uh, preparing for what could be a lifetime alone on this island. And he, he um, you know, began to gather what he could for, for um, food and began to build a shelter. He went into the, into the jungle and he started to cut down some big branches and find some logs. And, and he started to build essentially what would be his house on this island. And uh, he had just had it kind of finished and built, and he decided he would go for a walk along the beach. And as, as he was walking, this huge um, electrical storm kind of blew in from the ocean, talking thunder and lightning and torrential rain. And so he rushed off into the jungle to take shelter, and the storm kind of came bucketing down, and, and it kind of blew through pretty quickly. And, and uh, when it was over, he came back out, and he walked down the beach back to where his shelter was. And as he got closer, he, he realized that his shelter had been struck by lightning. And it was in flames. It was burning to the ground. And uh, this was like the kind of straw that broke the camel's back. And he, he kind of sank into the sand in his knees. And he held his face in his hands. And he began to sob. And he began to cry, God, why? Why have you let this happen to me? Why did I survive? Why am I all alone? And why, after everything that has happened, did you go down and burn down my shelter? And as he sat there in the sand just sobbing, he heard a voice rolling in off the waves behind him. And uh, he got up and he spun around, and there in the distance he saw a ship on the horizon. And coming toward him was a little boat, a little rowboat, and there was people in the rowboat, and they were yelling toward him. So he, of course, could not believe his eyes. He ran out into the shallows and ran as far as he could to meet the boat. And when he met the boat, he said to them, I, I cannot believe this. How on earth did you even know I was here? They said, what are you talking about? We saw your smoke signal, right? <laughs> okay. Friends, the truth of the matter is whatever you are facing right now, whatever circumstance you have found yourself in, no matter how unwanted and imperfect, and no matter how much it overwhelms your heart, God has the ability to turn that situation and that circumstance around and to use it for His glory and for your good. If only you will encourage yourself in the Lord, turn to Him for direction, and trust and obey. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, bow your heads, close your eyes with me for just a moment. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the band to come, and they're going to lead us in a song this morning. But here's what I want us to do today. I, I have no doubt in my heart that there are some of you sitting here, and uh, you have been confronted with the reality of the kind of circumstance I'm talking about. And maybe you are right in it at the moment, like you are in the thick of it. And your heart is feeling overwhelmed. And you're feeling uncertain. Maybe you're struggling to sleep at night. Maybe you're crying yourself to sleep. Maybe you're feeling anxious and you're feeling worried. Maybe the fear around the uncertainty feels crippling. Today you need to hear the voice of your loving Heavenly Father simply saying to you, I see you, and I see that circumstance. I'm not blind to it. I'm not indifferent toward it. I see it, and I am with you. And I am going to bring you through. And I'm going to take that situation and that circumstance, 
And I'm going to turn it around for my glory and for your good. And this morning, God, we just want you to simply lean into him. And this morning, I want to invite us to put our faith together and to put our hearts together in agreement. And to come before his throne of grace this morning and to pray particularly for those who are saying, yeah, that's me right now. And, and I'm, I'm facing a situation like that. And this morning, I need to hear from God. This morning, I need to know what it is that God wants me to do. I need direction. I need, I need instruction. I just need God to speak and to direct. I need God to assure me this morning. If you are facing a situation like that and you would like to be included in this prayer moment, what I'm going to ask you to do is just slip your hand up in the air just so I know who it is that we're praying for this morning. Keep it up for a moment. And hold it up there for a moment. That's right. Because the rest of us are going to put our hearts together in agreement with you. And we're going to stand with you today. And we're going to come before the throne of grace, the throne of our loving Heavenly Father. And we're going to bring that situation to Him. So just keep your hand up for a moment. Father, thank you for every hand raised across this room. I thank you that you see them. You know every life. You know every person. You know every individual, Father. You know them by name. You know the circumstance that they are facing. You know what it is causing them to feel. And I know, Father, that you are moved with compassion for them. I know that you see them. And I know everything, God, inside of you would want to just fix it in a moment. But, God, there is so much that I know you want to do in and through that circumstance that you could not do without the circumstance. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us this morning to trust you. God, to be confident in you, your character, your faithfulness, your goodness, your power. That even though we have to deal with these imperfect realities, they are, they are not insurmountable for you. You are the God for whom nothing is impossible. And you can in a moment do the miraculous. You can, Father, do the supernatural. You can do what man cannot do. But Father, we ask for more than that. We ask for more than your divine intervention in the circumstance. We ask for your divine intervention in us. And we ask that you shape us and that you deepen us and that you strengthen us. I pray, God, that you cause our faith to be forged and, and purified in the furnace of this affliction, God, so that it might be proven to be sincere and authentic and resilient. God, for those who are facing circumstances right now that are testing their faith, I pray that you would give them courage, give them strength, give them assurance. But God, I pray that you would also give them deep and profound faith. And I pray that you would forge their characters through this experience in a way that would shape them to be more and more and more like Jesus in every way. And Father, our resolve today is that in all of this, we will glorify you. We will honor you. Father, when the provision comes, when the breakthrough comes, when the miracle comes, we will honor you. We will glorify you. And Father, while we wait for the breakthrough and we wait for the provision and we wait for the miracle, we will glorify you. We confess our faith and trust is in you. Our confidence is in you. You are our God and we love you this morning. And we are determined to honor you and to serve you in every situation and in every circumstance. But today I pray, Father, fill every single heart this morning with the confidence and assurance that you are with us and you will never leave us and that you will take every circumstance and turn it around for your glory and our good. And we ask it together with one heart in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Can you put your hands together for our wonderful Lord this morning? How about you stand up on your feet? 
We're going to finish this morning with a song. And uh, I've asked the band this morning if we can do a little praise song together just to lift our voices, to give thanks and glory to God. And you know why I've asked them to do that? Because sometimes you've got to sound the victory before you can see the victory. You know, there's a, there's a beautiful story in the Bible where God, you know, these people were facing this enormous enemy that was about to overrun them. And, and God gave uh, King Jehoshaphat a rather unusual instruction. Uh, but Jehoshaphat trusted and obeyed. He said to him, I want you to put the singers and the musicians in front of the army. <laughs> I don't know, have you ever thought about that? Would you like to be a singer and a musician at the head of that army, marching out to battle with your tambourine on the front line? <laughs> Man, can you imagine? Right? But they trusted and they obeyed and they began to sing and they began to lift their voices and they began to praise the God of heaven by faith. They sounded the victory before they saw the victory. And as they did, God moved into their situation. He inhabited their praises and God did something powerful and wonderful. And this morning, I want us just to raise our voice and to give thanks and glory and honor to our wonderful God, not only for who he is and for what he's done, but for what he is about to do in and through your circumstance in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? All right, let's lift our voices. Let's give him honor and glory this morning. Let's sing. Amen. Amen. 